Open your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. We're just flying through the book of Acts now, aren't we? We are continuing our series, the beginning of our story. The beginning of our story. How did the church come to be? In our last message, our last time together, the Bible says in Acts chapter 6 and verse 8, And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. And so then there arise certain people that come against him, verse 10, and they were not able to resist the wisdom and spirit by which he spake. So what did they do? They suborn men and said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And so they, they try to bring people against him. And then in verse 15, And all that sat in the council looking steadfastly on him saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. And it's interesting, as they accuse him of speaking against Moses, God gives Stephen the same countenance that he gave Moses to demonstrate to them where the power of God actually is and who Stephen actually is. And so chapter 7 is Stephen's address. It's his response to these this council. So look at chapter 7 and verse 1. Then said the high priest, are these things so? And he said, men, brethren and fathers, hearken. What's happening? Where is our sound guy? Who has the soundboard? Is it possible there's a microphone on somewhere? Hey, let's give Andy a hand over there. All right. I thought my pacemaker was acting up. I wasn't <laughs> sure what was going on with that. Okay, verse 2. And he said, this is Stephen answering the high priest, are these things so? And so what, what Stephen begins to do in this text is he defends himself. But not only does he defend himself, but he actually preaches to the council. And it's interesting that some people love the Bible until you tell them what it means and what it means about them. So, as we've mentioned many times, people love and they have it on their wall, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. And they love that passage until they find out that it's about church discipline. And so the people who hate church discipline, they love that passage of the Bible because they don't know what it means. There are other people that hate the Bible. Why? Because they don't know what it means and they don't know what it says about them. And so some people who hate the Bible, when they learn what it means and what it means about them, then they come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. I think of the passages in the Old Testament where God is telling the children of Israel to fight against pagan nations. And there are people that just can't stand the Bible because of that. Well, when they come to understand what God believes or what God knows about sin and the devastation sin brings to the world, and the grace of God, then you understand that everything God does is for good. 
Everything he does is good. So there are people who love the word of God until you show them what it actually means. There are others that hate the word of God until you show them what it actually means. Here, this council supposedly loved the word of God, but they hated the preacher when the preacher told them what the passages that they worship actually mean. So one thing that I want you to notice is there's a marked difference between the preaching of Peter and the preaching of Stephen. Peter's sermons are very short. Stephen, this is the longest sermon in the Bible. And so I hope you brought a lunch. No, no, we're going to break it up into a couple so that we can get through it. But this is the longest sermon in the Bible, and it's just full of the history of the Old Testament. Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost and other times, it was very short. But what Stephen is doing is Stephen had been accused of four things, of speaking against Moses, of speaking against God, of speaking against the temple, and of speaking against the law. How had he spoken against Moses? That God had fulfilled the law. How had he spoken against God? That Jesus is, in fact, God. How had he spoken against the temple? That the temple was no longer necessary because Jesus Christ had risen from the dead. How had he spoken against the law? The law had been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. All of that in the Old Testament had a purpose. It was to point people to Jesus, and Jesus has come. This is the foundation of Stephen's sermons, and these are the accusations that he is asked to answer. And what he demonstrates before this council is that the accusations are patently false. So his sermon is part a defense, and it's part an accusation against his accusers. The one to be judged becomes the judge. His whole testimony, as he rapidly speaks of the past history of Israel, in his great and divinely arranged sermon, is a powerful testimony to the nation and against the nation. Boy, could we preach a sermon to and against the United States right now? We certainly could. But this passage, it's about Israel and the people of Israel, not the United States. But it says a lot about us as individuals. So where does he begin? Stephen begins his sermon preaching about Abraham. So his, the accusation is that he's preached against the law and that he's preached against Moses. So let's start reading in verse 2. And he said, men and brethren and fathers, hearken. The God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Charon and said unto him, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and come into a land which I shall show thee. Then came he out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Charan and from thence. When his father was dead, he removed him into this land wherein ye now dwell. And he gave him none inheritance in it. No, not so much as to set foot on. Yet he promised that he would give it to him for a possession and to his seed after him when as yet he had no child. So he had promised the land to his children when it was going to take a miracle of God for Abraham to have children. Verse 6, And God spake on this wise, that his seed should sojourn in a strange land, and that they should bring them into bondage and entreat them evil 400 years. And the nation to whom they shall be in bondage will I judge, said God. And after that shall they come forth and serve me in this place. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision, 
And so Abraham begat Isaac and circumcised him the eighth day. And Isaac begat Jacob and Jacob begat the 12 patriarchs. And then he moves in to talk about Joseph. So let's have a word of prayer and let's try to understand what Stephen is preaching to these men. Lord, thank you for your word. Give us understanding, Lord. Help us to exalt your word in Jesus' name. Amen. So look at the text. Chapter 7 and verse 2. And he said, men and brethren, fathers, hearken. The God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham. This God of glory. Who is this God of glory? Understand that we live in a world that's full of idols. Right? Some of you watch American Idol. How many of you have discerned that these people are probably not worth worship? Right? So there are gods in the world... And most of the gods that people pray to, that they can't speak, they can't hear, they're fashioned with men's hands, they're not the one true God. This is the God of glory that he is speaking of. So let's trace out, put your ribbon here in Acts 7, and let's try to get an understanding of who this God of glory is. Go to Psalm 29. Who is this God of glory? Boy, that makes me think of Psalm 24. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord strong in battle. Open ye gates and enter in. For the king of glory has come in. Wow. Look at Psalm 29. Verse 1. Give unto the Lord, O ye mighty. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Wouldn't it be good for all of us to think about that verse before we come and sing together on Sunday? How many of you would say, you know what? When we were singing to the Lord, I really was not giving him the glory that's due his name. I was thinking about the roast that's in the oven. I was thinking about how the bears are going to lose here at one o'clock. How many of you think that we're going to have a moment of prayer for my bears? See, there's so many things that we can be distracted by. We need to give the glory that's to his name. Do you know that worship doesn't end when the songs stop? That honestly, if we're going to worship the Lord in truth, this is the primary aspect of worship now. When we're studying his word together as a group. Verse 3, the voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The God of glory thundereth. That's our God. The God of glory thundereth. Can you imagine what his voice sounds like? We're going to hear it. We are going to hear it. He's communicated to us in his words, but we're going to hear his voice. This God of thunder. Let's look at what the Bible says. The God of glory thunders. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. Oh, by the way, our new Bibles for the, for the chairs that we have here in the auditorium, they're going to be delivered tomorrow. And so men's prayer meeting. I'm going to ask you guys to distribute all those Bibles in this auditorium. So Paul, I'll see. Oh, I need to see Paul and Eric. Where's Paul at? He left. Paul, Eric, and Nathaniel. And you see Paul, Eric, and Nathaniel down here right after the morning service, just briefly. Eric, there you are. Good. 
You guys are in trouble. Um, all right. Ephesians chapter 1. Look what the Bible says in verse 17. And and what's happening in this passage is Paul is praying for the Ephesian believers. And in verse 16, he ceases not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. So this God of glory that Stephen is preaching, the God of glory that thunders, he's also the father of glory. And the father of glory, he's the father of Jesus Christ in whom all of that glory dwells. The Bible says in the the book of Colossians chapter 2 verse 9 that in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That's who Jesus Christ is. So the Father is the Father of glory. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 7. This is who Stephen is preaching about, and more is revealed of this God after Stephen's martyrdom. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and look at verse 7. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. So he, God is the God of glory who thunders. He is the Father of glory, God the Father. And what does he want to do? He wants us to participate, to have a part in that glory. How do we do that? Second Corinthians chapter 4. Oh, wait a minute, verse 8. Sorry, back to, back to 1 Corinthians 2. Let's get verse 8. So, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 7, But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So you have the God of glory, you have the Father of glory, who wants us to have that glory, and we have it through the Lord of glory, Jesus Christ. That's who we preach. Amen? Man, this is what Christmas is about. This is what it's about. Look at 2 Corinthians. It's not about Satan, Claus. Just a little joke. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Look at verse 1. Therefore, seeing we have this this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully. Can Can you stop there for just a second? Think about Stephen is preaching about the God of glory to people who are handling the word of God deceitfully. These are men whose job is religion. That's who he's preaching to. 
And so, back to verse 2, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness. Remember, they had suborned men to lie about Stephen, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. That's the point of next week's service. Amen. Let's not hide our gospel. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus our Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That The glory of God, this God of glory, that light. He's caused it to shine in the face of Jesus Christ. But Jesus has ascended to the Father, so where is that now? Verse 7, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels. What are you and I made out of? Just clay. We're made out of earth. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. The purpose of my body as a believer is to demonstrate Jesus. You see... Before any of this was revealed, Stephen is demonstrating from the Old Testament this God of glory who appeared to Abraham. Look with me at 1 Peter chapter 4. Look at verse 13. Second Peter, I'm sorry, First Peter, First Peter chapter 4 and verse 13. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part, he is evil spoken of. But on your part, he is glorified. Don't you love that? This God of glory, his power rests on us. That's the God of glory that Stephen was preaching. Let's go back to Acts chapter 7. So he begins in verse 2, and he said, Men and brethren and fathers, hearken. He begins with this phrase, the God of glory appeared unto our father, Abraham. With this phrase, the God of glory appeared, Stephen begins. And when his sermon is ended, look at what happens. Look at chapter 7 and look at verse 54. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. 
But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw what? He begins preaching about the God of glory. And he ends seeing the glory of God. Go back to verse 2. And he said, men, brethren, and fathers, hearken. The God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham. You see, when he died, he saw him of whom he had borne witness. The same one who had appeared unto Abraham, the same one who had appeared, remember we looked at the, at, at the angel of the Lord that was in the burning bush to Moses, that's the same one that he saw standing on the right hand of the Father. That's the same one who is preaching as the God of glory. This beginning is, is significant. The, the glory And he said, men and brethren and fathers, hearken, the God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Charon. And he says, and and he said unto him, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and come into the land which I shall show thee. And Abraham believed that and Abraham did that. And so what happened? This, he, he saw this and Abraham never saw. He, he didn't see the fulfillment of the promise. But he believed what God had promised. And so what did God do? Because Abraham believed God, his belief was counted as righteousness. God gave him. It's amazing what God did for Abraham. We looked at the passage a minute ago where the Bible says, For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. And it goes to show how God gave that glory. But this sermon on the glory of the Lord appearing to Abraham, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, is soon to be made known through the chosen instrument to whom the gospel of the glory of God was to be preached, the Apostle Paul. I want you to think about something. Here's Stephen preaching before the council. Do you know who was in that council? Saul of Tarsus. And what does he point out? The glory of God. What does Stephen see when he's murdered? The glory of God. Who is holding the coats for those who kill him? Saul of Tarsus. Hold your place here. Look at Acts chapter 22. Look at verse 19. And I said, Lord, this is Paul giving his testimony. They know that I imprisoned and beat in every synagogue them that believed on thee. And when the blood of thy martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by and consenting unto his death and kept the raiment of them that slew him. So understand what happened. When Stephen is being killed, Paul 
was one who had consented to that. I believe that he was on the council. And not only that, but he was the one entrusted with the garments while it was being done. He kept them. He kept the garments for them. So here, this initial revelation of the glory of God, the foundation of the, the preaching of the Apostle Paul, was first, to, was first revealed to Paul in Stephen's sermon. What an amazing thing. So back to Acts chapter 7. So the first thing that I wanted you to see is the God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham. Secondly, the God of glory had appeared unto Abraham when he was in the country of idolatry and was himself an idolater. So hold your place in Acts 7. Go to Joshua chapter 24. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. Joshua chapter 24. Look at verse 1. And Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and called for the elders of Israel and for their heads and for their judges and for their officers. And they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said unto all the people, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in old time, even Terah, the father of Abraham, the father of Nacor, and they served other gods. Do you see that? So Terah and Abraham both served other gods. How about that? So, so get Acts 7. Go back to Acts 7. And when you're at Acts 7, go to Romans chapter 5. It's amazing to me how much of Paul's teaching has an origin in Stephen's sermon. So, here is Abraham in idolatry, and the Lord of glory appears unto him, and for no apparent reason other than his own will, chooses Abraham That sounded very Calvinistic, didn't it? But that's exactly what he did for Abraham. And look at what the Bible says in Romans chapter 5, in verse 8. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Isn't that amazing? Well, he was an idolater in a land of idolatry. God called Abraham. What an amazing thing. And Abraham believed the promise and was justified by faith. All this manifests, makes plain, reveals the grace of God. It is certainly unmerited favor. I want you to think about Abraham. Abraham did nothing nor could do anything to earn all of this. So remember what the indictment against Stephen is, that he had blasphemed against Moses, against God, against the temple, and against the law. And so what does Stephen point out about Abraham? Well, there was no temple for Abraham to boast of. There was no law for Abraham to keep. 
The promise and the covenant were before that law. But these men are boasting in the law, they're boasting in the temple, they're boasting in the covenant, but none of that has anything to do with faith in God. And so, they're under indictment. Look at Romans 10. This perfectly describes this council. Remember, Romans 9 through 11 is the Apostle Paul writing about Israel, about Jews in the church age. Romans chapter 10, verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Amen? And so this is describing this counsel. Do you think that Paul had in his mind when he said this, the counsel that he had been a part of, that he had a zeal, but not according to knowledge? He was going about to establish his own righteousness, not the righteousness of God. They had this righteousness and grace offered to them, and they were rejecting it. The argument advanced here is similar to the one that Paul brings in Galatians chapter 3. If the young Pharisee Saul of Tarsus heard Stephen, he heard for the first time, though still blinded, the great truth the Spirit of God would unfold through him after his conversion. Back to Acts chapter 7. And then, so Stephen begins talking about the glory of God revealed to Abraham. And then he talks about the grace that God gave to Abraham. And then number three, Stephen also speaks of Israel's sojourn in a strange land as revealed unto Abraham. Look what it says in verse 6. And God spake on this wise, that his seed should sojourn in a strange land, and that they should bring them into bondage, and entreat them evil 400 years. So, what, what happens? For 400 years, they are treated in an evil way. They suffer. But what does this do? This, this is talking about the suffering of Israel before they came into the possession of the land. And this is a hint of the great truth so clearly revealed in Israel's history of the suffering of Christ and the glory that should follow. See, here the Spirit of God once more came to their consciences and in this historical outline of their father Abraham. But their hearts are hard and they refuse to hear. You see, there are many people who say, I just don't have enough information. It, I, I don't have enough information to believe. What more can God do? So for these people, God had, he's talking to the children of Abraham, the physical children of Abraham. But as Paul tells us later in the book of Galatians, they're certainly not the spiritual children of Abraham. But they are the physical children of Abraham. And God had made of Abraham a great nation just as he had promised. And when they, when they were in famine 
He fed them in Egypt. And then he led them out of Egypt. He delivered them miraculously. And every bit of that pointed to Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ was involved in every bit of that. And all of it was fulfilled in Christ. And they saw it. Please don't forget that when they arrested Peter and John in Acts chapter 4, that is immediately after the veil was rent in two from top to bottom by God at the death of Christ. These temple guards, the high priest was the only one who was allowed to see that. They saw that the veil was rent in two. They knew that the sacrifice was over. They saw who Jesus Christ was and how he is the direct fulfillment of all of those Old Testament passages, especially, especially Isaiah 61, 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. And he fulfilled everything that the Spirit of God said the Messiah would do. He had fulfilled every bit of that. They knew all of those passages by heart. They physically saw the fulfillment of it. But the Bible says Christ is the end of the law. And if Christ is true, then their job is over. You know, there are so many people that if Christ is true, then their career needs to end. If Christ is true, then what do we need to do? We need to renounce the hidden things of dishonesty. If Christ is true, then something has to change in my life. And see, this is what surrender to the Lordship of Christ is. That's why when the Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the servant shall be saved. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the sacrifice shall be saved. For whosoever shall call upon the altogether lovely one shall be saved. For whosoever shall call upon the babe in the manger shall be saved. Is Jesus all of those things? That's not what you have to acknowledge to be saved. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth, what? The Lord Jesus. And shall believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. See, the reason a lot of people don't want to get saved is they don't want to acknowledge Jesus as Lord. You know, there are a lot of people that have prayed a prayer, Lord, come into my heart and save me, who have never acknowledged Jesus Christ as their Lord. They've said a prayer. They said an abracadabra. And that's why 1 Corinthians 15 talks about the gospel, which we have received and wherein we stand, unless we've believed in vain. What is believing in vain? It's believing in nothing. It's just saying some words without believing it. See, here's the problem. This council did not want Jesus to be their Lord He's not the Lord that they wanted. He's not the Messiah that they wanted. And so what did they do? They killed the messenger. They killed him. It's fascinating. They didn't argue with him. Because what had he done? He had simply quoted their Bible. To argue with him, they would have undermined what they supposedly believed. So what did they do? No trial. No argument. Shut him up now. Kill him. 
put him to death. That's what they did. I wonder if there's anybody here today and you've heard the gospel over and over and over and over again. But you don't want him to be your Lord. You might be saved. You might be here this morning. You're born again. You know Christ as your Savior. And you have acknowledged him as your Lord. But you've climbed back onto that throne yourself. And you don't want him. You don't want him to be in charge of your life. There's some behavior that you don't want to put under his lordship. And I'm not going to give you a list. We're not legalists. Amen? But what is it that you're doing that you know is not subject to the lordship of Christ? It could be something good. It could be something that is lawful for us to do. And yet, you're putting it above Christ. How many of you know that that what this council did was wrong? How many of you know that? And we're not going to go out and kill anybody, hopefully. Right? Hopefully none of you come and drag me out into the street and stone me after this sermon. Chad sits right there with his gun. He's going to come and get in front of me. No acknowledgement. He just looked at me right there. Maybe. No, seriously. Seriously. Are you guys going to get the stones ready? <laughs> Isn't it wonderful that we don't have to do an emotional appeal here? Just speak the truth. Can we all just be honest with each other for a minute? My hand's about to go up. How many of you, the Lord has brought something into your mind this morning that needs to be brought under his lordship? Would you raise your hands? I just got goosebumps watching you guys respond to the Lord. What? We know that what the Pharisees did was wrong, and we're not going to do that. But are we going to acknowledge who Christ is in our lives? Wouldn't it be wonderful to go into the rest of this Christmas season? <laughs> How many of you know Jesus wasn't born on December 25th, right? But it's a time that we've set aside to remember Christ's birth. Wouldn't it be cool to every time you hear something about the birth of Christ now for the rest of December, you think, he's my Lord. He's my Lord. Amen? What an amazing sermon Stephen has preached. We're about to look at what he said about Joseph. And what he said about Moses, the sermon is unbelievable. But already, that glory of God, it's hard to even comprehend that I have that glory in me as a believer. Not because of me, that the excellency may be of him and not of me, right? And what the text says, 2 Corinthians 4. Already, God had revealed enough to this council for them to repent, but they wouldn't. Because they were blind. Their hearts were hardened. Let's not be blind. Let's not have hard hearts. Let's receive the engrafted word, the Bible says. Let's receive it. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this word.